Hi everyone. Um, as you know, we're reading and discussing the book The Chaperone by Laura Moriarty. And before we actually go around and talk about the book and different what everybody thought, um, I wanted to just comment on a few things that Actually, it's an article on Wikipedia that, thanks to Alan for sending me, I was able to read a little bit on Louise Brooks. And it turns out that Laura Moriarty really researched this book before she read it. And I know um, we were talking before the before we started and... Um, she did read Louise Brooks' autobiography and some other books, but this book was very true to um, Louise Louise's life. She was born in 1906, which would have made her 15 in 1922, which was the year this book started. Her mother was very artistic. She she was a pianist and she was more interested in her art than she was in her family. And Louise was the prodigy. She really pushed and helped Louise to get into the Demichon School of Dance, which she did. Louise was with them until 1924. Um... She was fired abruptly because of a disagreement that she and Ruth St. Dennis had. Ruth fired her. And she said that the reason she was firing her was because Louise wanted everything handed to her on a silver salver. And Louise remembered that. And in 1949, when she was drawing up an outline for her for an autobiographical novel, she used the word "silver salver" as the title for the tenth and final chapter in the, in that outline. She hold on, let me lock. So we okay. I'm gonna lock it again. Um. She was best known for films in Europe. Pandora's Box in 1929, Diary of a Lost Girl 1929, and Miss Europe 1930. And she popularized the bob haircut. Um, she also performed in Memoir Lulu in Hollywood in 1982, three years before she died. She died in August of 1985 of a heart attack and emphysema. He was married twice, which also came out in the book, and had no children with either spouse 
And as I said, she did write her autobiography. And um, she, her career spanned from 1925 to 1938. And they consider her, she became a legend in silent films. They, at one point, after she left Hollywood because she loathed it so much. The last film she had a role in with Paramount was which she um was Beggars Beggars of Life. But she hated Hollywood so much that she left to perform in Europe. And when Paramount tried to lure her back because of sound films, she refused. So they say that this is what they consider, 30 years later, they consider that to be the most savvy move in her career. And it sealed her legend in silent film. So so much of what was brought out in the book is in this article and this this book was so true to her life. If you want to read the article, it is in its entirety. It's pretty long, so I wasn't going to sit here and go through the entire thing. Um it's on Wikipedia. And I believe it's just you can type in Louise Brooks in Google and it'll come up. Well, I'm going to unlock the key and then we can go around and see what everybody thought about the book. Okay, we should be unlocked now. Anybody have any comments that they want to make about the book and what they thought? Well, I'll jump in. I, I really like the book. I, uh, I, 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 I seems like I've read a couple recently through some of these book groups where uh, it, it's, it's a novel, but it's got people that really existed and really lived in it, uh, and I, I kind of like that. Uh, they've been pretty well done. I guess they're historical fiction, but uh, uh, I really liked the the core character. I liked the way she kind of uh, went from being a real stuffy kind of not thinking things through kind of person to uh, you know kind of seeing things the same way I do. But uh, 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 yeah, I like that about her, and you know, I like the fact that she finally got a relationship with the, with somebody and uh uh and you know I, I enjoyed that reading about Louise Brooks and uh it's like you were saying uh she obviously researched her pretty pretty well you know for all the, all the stuff that happened to her you know being assaulted when she was 9 years old and stuff is just unbelievable but uh uh I, I like the peek into into the the side of the uh, obviously Louise came from a, a troubled family, and uh, I like the way they kind of kind of took us through it, and uh, that way I, I really enjoyed it. This is Deborah, and um, I think it was Michelle who suggested this book. Whoever it was, I thank you. I I enjoyed this book so much, and I thought, especially after reading the article that Alan sent, and and you know reading all the facts, 
um, about Louise Brooks, I'm just so impressed at how brilliantly Moriarty wove together her fictional story with the, the true facts known about about this character. It, I just it was really good. The other thing, though, that I that I really was really just I don't know what the word is. I just really kept thinking about it and would love to hear other people's impressions. The whole complicated secret lives inside that house of Cora and Joseph and Alan and Raymond, it was so fascinating to me. And it it made me wonder, in a time when everybody had to be so secretive and everybody had to pretend that there was only one way to be and that was this perfect monogamous marriage, did stuff like that really happen a lot? And, I mean, I guess I'm sort of concluding that maybe it did, Um, but... And I'm just curious about it. And it it makes me wonder, like, where could you read facts about it? You know, like accounts of people with their secret lives like that. Well, I I read the book actually a couple of months ago. I, I read the book actually a couple of months ago. So all the details are not super fresh in my mind, but... I, I do remember that there were a lot of issues in this book, and, and that's what I found really interesting. The whole thing with the orphan train, I, I, I was not something that I actually knew about, and I found that really, really, you know, interesting. Um, just that that those that that actually took place, and and all the different um, situations that the children, very young children, would find themselves in. And I remember throughout the story that there were even some racial things, which, you know, sort of popped up. There was a mention of the Ku Klux Klan at one point, and I remember Cora and I think Louise went to a play, and it was a a play with black um, entertainers, and there were black people in the audience, and Cora was a little startled about that. Um, And you know, I, 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 I like the fact that Cora found um, a relationship and, you know, certainly I'm sure it must have been very startling to her to have walked in on her husband. I, you know, I, I don't think she had any hint that that was going on. Um, so that must have been quite, quite a shock. Um, and, you know, I was sort of happy that they were able to find some sort of peace and that she could even bring in... Um, the husband's friend, you know, at, at, at a later point into the situation and that everybody sort of could get along well. And I, I don't know how prevalent it was, but I would think it, you know, that there were there were things that were going on that, you know, people, I think what was hard about it was that it had to be so hidden and that it was such a, seen as such a shameful thing in the community. Um, and... With Louise Brooks, I mean, I had a sense of who she was from this story, but I actually thought the story focused more on Cora, and Louise sort of, you know, you had a sense of who she was, and you got to meet her as a 15-year-old, and then you got to meet her later on in in life. But there were a lot of parts of her life that I really didn't know, and I, I sort of felt when I finished the story that I knew Cora better than I knew Louise. But um, overall, it was a really involving story, and I, and I think it's, it was a really good choice. Well, I thought, this is Sherry, I thought this was a really fantastic book. I'm really glad you chose it for the, the discussion. Um, like Michelle said, I had not heard of The Orphan Train. That, that was just, uh, that is pretty appalling by today's standards. 
And I think what Deborah mentioned about the unconventional lifestyle, I, I bet it, it certainly must have happened a lot more than we think. I'm sure the percentage of, of gay people was comparable to what it is now. It's just probably more people uh, lived secretive lives. I was very glad that Cora found happiness in her unconventional family. And it's kind of ironic that Louise had, by the standards of the time, conventional family, but yet Cora really had a happier life overall, even given her childhood and everything. It was nice to see Cora grow to an old age and, and hear what happened to everybody. It was just a tremendously good book. This is Jill. Uh, I didn't know about the orphan train. Gosh, didn't you guys read Anne of Green Gables? There was the first example of it. Um, and actually, there is a book on Bookshare called um, Orphan Train. I heard that author interviewed right at the moment. I can't remember who it was, but uh, I have a download and haven't had a chance to read it yet. What I really loved about this book was it's showing the different in moral customs as we've advanced um, which is what you're all saying too um, and I've thought about this a lot really over the last I'm going to say 10 years because I realize that the age that I am you know I've gone through several different generations and I've seen things change so much and things that are happening nowadays that people just simply take for granted would have been absolutely shocking and not possible uh, when I was a young adult. And so this book impressed me for that reason. She did a wonderful job of showing us that. And of course, the very fact that uh, Cora herself was able to do something that if time of her generation was more morally reprehensible, but she did it simply because she had been denied a sex life, and now she had a chance to have one. Um, I love this book. I, I just thought it was great, and um, I thought it was great because we learned all we needed to know about these people without a, a lot of what I have gotten getting to the point of thinking more and more. Sometimes it's just simply unnecessary sexual details. And I'm not a prude, and I don't mind reading books like that, but I do. Re it does bother me when I feel that authors do it unnecessarily, and this book did not, and I really am glad, too, that that it was a choice and that we read it and uh, it was an excellent book well I thought she handled the uh, sexual issues with the um, husband of Cora uh, very well I mean they you know she got her point across but yet it was delicate and um, you know it, it she tried to work through it and you know everybody compromised and everybody uh, got along so it was it was it was kind of a neat story the one thing that kind of did upset me was the fact that um, they lied you know there there was lies but they had to do it I guess um, and I was kind of torn whether or not uh, the I kind of thought I, I, I don't I guess you know she never figured it out but that kind of bothered me a little bit. Well, and 
I think this was a really good book uh, myself, and there are a few things that struck me. Um, first of all, I I guess I come from it from a little different um, point of view. I'm a, a staunch conservative, and so I don't often see these um, the liberalization of society as a positive. Um, I, I do think that there are certain things that are right and wrong, and that's just you know how I feel. To me. Um, the governing factor in in my worldview is is the Bible, and it always will be. But that said, I did find some things. The, the fascinating thing that I found about this book was how it went through history. It went through the 20s and 30s and 40s and, and all that. But did you notice how history repeats itself to me that is a real theme um, when when they were talking about two examples of that that I can think about they were all horrified about the the short skirts and things and that was back in 1922 23 and and then we had the same discussion back in the 60s if you remember when the the mini skirt came and and how there was the same sorts of discussion and then when they were saying that jazz was so bad and that it was immoral and all of that and then remember what happened when rock and roll burst onto the scene with uh, with, with Elvis and everything and how that same aspect of history repeated itself and I thought the characters were very well developed and of course being a linguist and somebody that's involved with many cultures I enjoyed the multicultural aspect of this book I enjoyed the German man, Joseph, and I enjoyed uh, some of the little words from the different languages that came into play. And, um, for example, I don't know if, if you know when that Italian woman was um, um, waving and saying, sola uva, sola uva, um, in case you don't know in Italian what that means is only grape, only grape, and that's her hands were stained and and they were trying to uh set to, to determine whether she had illegally um during prohibition been um making alcohol brewing or opening speakeasies or whatever and 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 she was just going sola uva sola uva only grape juice uh, and then the other phrase that stuck in my mind was when Cora was talking to um Louise about Schadenfreude. And Schadenfreude is a German term. If you take it apart, Schaden means to harm or to damage, and Freude is joy. And so it's like taking joy, and it's like malicious joy. It's like taking malicious pleasure in doing something. And that's what those two words come from. And I just thought that I'd share that with you in case you didn't know those words. But those were the things that really fascinated me about the book. Then the other thing that fascinated me was the universality of things. How in some ways the girls in the orphanage is sort of um, being left, even though those of us that went to residential schools were not left permanently by our parents, there was a certain thing about being in an institution, institution with children and being left, being deserted, at least feeling that way for us um, versus um, what what these orphans went through. And that that sort of gave me a warm spot in my heart for these poor children, too. 
and, and then how they used to bring them onto the stage. And family would pick them, similar to back in the Civil War, how they picked slaves. They brought them to market, and they had to put them up on a block, and they picked them. So as you can see, it's this universality, this history repeating itself, and um, how generations progressed. Well, one of the things about the, that was later on in the story was um, the German man's daughter, I, I think if I remember correctly, there was a point that they were talking about that she possibly was going to be sent away as well. And I remember really being startled about that because I thought that the only people that would have gotten sent away would have been people who had no parents, and obviously they, they all knew at this facility that the, the father was there, and, and I was really surprised. So I thought it might have been something that was incredibly prevalent that they were sending these poor children away. And, um, you know, and it's, it's really, that I think that of everything, that was something that, that probably frightened me the most about this story, the part that resonated the most with me, because I, I couldn't imagine... Well, I mean, they also sent off kids whose parents weren't able to care for them. I mean, I think they made that fairly plain with some of the some of the other kids uh, when they were sending them off. So yeah, that that was pretty. Uh, uh, that was that was yeah that that was that was not good. Sorry, I, I seem to have lost the mic, but um, uh, you know, but the father really, I mean, he was he wasn't exactly in a dire situation. He was working, and you know, he had someplace that he was living and the daughter wasn't living with him and I, I just remember really being struck by that that it, it was you know it, it's really an amazing thing I mean when you when you read these different historical fiction stories and you hear about things that really took place in history and you sort of wonder who would have came up with this crazy idea you know to put young children on a train and send them out to the middle of the country and then let anybody you know come and and take them um it's just i don't know it seems incredibly naive to me you know to believe that everything is going to going to work out well um so it was that was the part of the story that actually out of everything i think stayed with me the most i think they were going to send her away because they possibly because he couldn't take care of her he was yeah he was working for them and he lived on the grounds but he couldn't really take care of her and the orphan trains from what I remember I remember talking about them in college I had a social welfare course and we talked about different things from the times different time periods and if I remember correctly, I think it was the Christian aid societies that started those, the orphan trains, and their belief was that they would take these poor children and that they weren't, they would take them to places out in the country and farms where they could better themselves and have more wholesome lives because the feeling was that they were tainted and just not worth worthwhile human beings which was really a sad um way to look at things and 
somebody mentioned the book Orphan Train. It's on Bard as well. I actually have started reading it, but I'm not that far into it, and I can't remember who wrote it either at the t- off the top of my head. Um, well, I'm glad to hear everybody liked the book. I loved it, which was one of the reasons I, you know, I, I thought it would be good. There's so much in here, and I agree with with what Carla said that the history I love when people write novels and they weave the history of the times into it and I think it just makes such a great read and um but how about the the whole scenario with Cora and her birth mother. That was... I was actually surprised that she was able to find her. And it was so... Her birth mother was just miserable. And I know she had to be. I know that um, at that time she was only a child herself and... What was that saying? She had a thorn in her side and a rose in her heart. Well, I mean, that part of the story, you know, was was good in a way. I mean, it it helped her to resolve what she really needed to find out, which was who were her parents. I think, Michelle, you lost the mic or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, I was just going to say that I thought actually Louise's mother was a much more despicable mother than um, than Cora's birth mother. I mean, she was doing what she needed to do to protect herself because certainly women back then were not allowed to have kids out of wedlock without you know ruining their lives. The other thing in, in that line of thinking was the sexual assault on Louise. We've come a long way, but we still see a lot of you know girls blamed as the victims even today well you know it I, I just think that she needed to find her mother it obviously was enough of a motivation for her that she wanted to take herself out of kansas where she was living and and she took this opportunity to go to new york city and try to find her mother and she was a little bit ingenious i mean she she kind of figured out a way to, to find her and you know sometimes good or bad if you want to find out who your parents are you know it, it's a lot of times it's not always going to be a wonderful situation so at least she got to know at least who she was and i thought that was good that that she did that um and and obviously it helped her end up with this with this man that she ended up with so that was a really you know something really positive actually came out of it yeah, it was, I think that was the turning point for her. That was when, when Cora met her birth mother, she, that was when she really, I think that, and then the whole scene with Louise, when Louise told her about the sexual assault and the drinking the night that, um, Laura, or that Cora um, was up with her all night when she was drunk. That, I think, was the turning point, and that was when she started to grow and be able to think for herself and realize that 
she had to do not necessarily what was right, but what was right for Louise. She couldn't jeopardize Louise's career by telling on her and getting her kicked out of the school and knowing what Louise was going to go back to because, yes, her Louise's mother was despicable. Well, I really like this book as well. Um, as I think Jill said, I hope I have audio. Um, as Jill said, I loved how it went, you know, the, the dresses went to the shin and then down to the ankles. And then I love the, um, you know, the history. I also found it interesting how um, her mother and her foster mother and foster father died together in the um, silo thing of the gas um, situation. That was interesting, and you wonder how often that happened. Um, but this was a really good book. Um, it was interesting how Cora really came out after she went to New York. And it's interesting because in, in the beginning of the book you see Alan, this nice, you know, man, and you're wondering, because you, I don't know, I felt like Cora was, had issues with him, but you did, didn't know why. And then it, I love the way that it told her life, kind of, it, it fitted in really well. It was a really good book. And I also liked that they, not everything had to do with, you know, sex and stuff like that, like other books that I have read recently. That I, Jill, I, I agree with you. Well, having grown up in a rural area and also having a lot of relatives in Kansas, I can tell you people do still suffocate in grain silos from time to time. You hear about that happening even today. And I agree with you guys about the sexual content. This was just perfect. It, you knew what you needed to know, and you didn't really have to experience it. The one thing that disturbed me, or let's just say came across to me as a bit of an inconsistency, um, they were going along with the history and and all of that, but they they didn't dwell very much on World War II uh, to the point where when you think about what a major event that was, that I'm surprised that that didn't have more of a an influence on the plot of the book, um, aside from Cora's son, Howard, or, or maybe it was Earl, maybe it was Earl, going off um, to, to um, work in a hospital in the Pacific, uh, you know, that that had to do with it. But when you think of all that was going on in, in Nazi Germany, and, and of course a lot of that stuff was kept secret until after the war, when you read all the historical accounts, sometimes it's, a, it's appalling to me how many people didn't know what was really going on. Um, but still, I just didn't... I don't know, it just seemed to be dwarfed with um, some of the other things that may have been of lesser historic importance. I don't know if you all felt that way or not. I didn't feel that way about this just simply because I, I've, authors have to, you know, they have to refine their books. They can't cover everything, and even though we were certainly aware of the war a lot, she did 
mention it, but it really wasn't exactly relative, you know, to the stories that she was telling, and that's, I mean, other than that it was her son involved, but, um, <laughs> and I, you know what this reminds me of, because I, it did surprise me, remember, <laughs> because I think almost all of you have read The Kitchen House, in The Kitchen House, they never mentioned the Revolutionary War. If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember it even being discussed. And I remember at the time thinking, wouldn't you think that would be awfully important in, in a book like The Kitchen House? But they didn't. So obviously authors have to, have to make these decisions about what they're going to cover and what they're not in their books. Well, I always find the 1920s a really interesting time in history because... I think so much for women changed at that time. Before that, you know, women really covered up their bodies sort of from head to foot and their hair was was covered all the time and it was just a very different society. And somehow in the 1920s, things changed and women, you know, were able to sort of be a little bit more free with themselves. And, And I, for one, think that's a really wonderful thing. I mean, I think it's really good that women could have a little bit more independence and and not be feel like they have to maintain a, a certain image. And the other thing I just wanted to mention is, um, it, with regard to the orphan trains, um, there's a really good book that I read a while ago called Rabbit Proof Fence, which is actually about the Australian Aborigines. And it's a very similar story. Um, they took light-skinned Aboriginal children away from their homes and put them into white Australian families. And, you know, obviously with very mixed results in in a lot of, you know, some of these children were assaulted by the the fathers or the brothers and and all kinds of terrible things. So it's it's something, I think, that happens in in a lot of different places um, that people take children, you know, out of their, out of, whatever the situation is, whether it's racial or because the children are orphans or whatever, and put them into other families. And, um, you know, you have very, very mixed results with that. So, But for me, the 1920s is fascinating. I think it was the time that women really started having, you know, obviously they got the right to vote and they had more equality. And it was, it was a very historically significant time, I think, for women. I agree. And the 1920s and 30s are my favorite times in history to read about or in school that was always my favorite time period one of the times that you can really see i think that cora had come into her own was when she was invited to the luncheon remember when they had lunch in an air-conditioned theater and the women were talking about um, that about contraceptives, and they were trying to ban <clears throat> ban them, and they were and they all tried to get Cora to agree, and Cora just she didn't sign the petition; she just put a couple of quarters in as a donation for whatever the cause was and she just walked out without signing the petition and they were all calling for her to come back and sign it and she just she wouldn't do it and that to me showed just how much she had 
grown and come into our own. Yeah, this is Joshua. I, di- I did not, uh, I did not read the book. I just came in a few minutes ago. But uh, interesting discussion uh, so far. And uh, to me, the 1920s and 30s was a good era. I mean, for music in general, since I like, since I like music so much, you could kind of uh, see how music kind of started to change, even uh, even as far back as uh, the 20s and 30s, because a lot of the different kinds of music were uh, were emerging. You know, jazz and country, and you know big band and kind of mixing together and, you know, all that, all, all that kind of stuff. It was kind of getting away from the whole, uh, you know, classical music type, type stuff that had been for, you know, for years and years. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, definitely interesting, uh, uh, the interesting times, too. Of course, you got the, of course, you got the Great Depression in 1929, and you're right, the whole 20s, and women did kind of, kind of come into their own or start to come into their own that time. But, you know, of course, the right to vote was a pretty bit. You know, pretty huge, you know, 1921 for everybody, which, uh, I mean, that was definitely a great, uh, that was definitely a great, great event for people especially. Hi, this is Nancy. Um, I like the book, too, and I was just wondering, there was one part that I wasn't quite sure about when uh, Cora mentioned different times about remembering a woman who was wearing a shawl that, um, and I don't think that it was her real mother, but I can't remember if that ever came up. I mean, if um, she ever figured out who it could have been. I thought they mentioned later that it was one of the women at the un- the home for unwed women that Cora started out as as a child, and it was probably they implied that she was a prostitute or she was somehow immoral in some way. But obviously, as Cora knew, the the woman had a heart. One thing I liked, too, is that Cora was human. She made mistakes, but she was also, she really tried to help people. She could have been a godmother to um, Louise. And, you know, I think in some ways Cora feels felt like sometimes she didn't do anything for her. What could she have done better? But then she gets that postcard after she goes and she sits there on the floor and says, What are you doing here? And she says, Horse feathers, you know. And she gets the postcard saying thanks when, Cora, when uh, Louise goes back to, I think it's New York. And I think that, and then... You also see where Louise takes care of her her siblings. And I can't help but wonder if that had to do with Cora as well. I I really did like Cora. Um, I felt bad she was stuck in a bad situation with her husband. But it was, you know, in the end it was a good outcome. You wonder though... I don't know, I'm just me imagining or whatever. You know, what? this book could have gone so many different ways. Joseph could have found another woman, you know, but he didn't. And he never married, he never, It was, you know, it was pretty sad for him. But I guess they were all happy in the long run. The other part of the history that I would I would have thought the depression would have had more of an effect on the story because 
the depression really affected a lot of people, um, and I, I was surprised that 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 wasn't that wasn't really highlighted. But the one thing that I found sort of amusing and interesting and thought provoking was later on and towards the end of the book when. Um, um, about the VCR tape and um, and uh, Cora getting to watch the um, film of Louise Brooks and how it just seemed sort of things that we took for granted because she took for granted, you know, we took for granted, but it was such a wonder to her that she could stop it and then start it whenever she wanted to. And if she didn't want to watch the whole film, then she could stop it and when when you think about it, that is quite amazing for somebody that comes from real early in the 20th century and they have to go to a movie and they can't watch it in the privacy of their own home and start it and stop it and watch it on their own television. And just her wonder at the VCR was was really touching. Yeah, speaking of that reminds me, when, when I listened to the book, I was thinking about how um, all the changes that happened to Laura Ingalls Wilder in, in her time. Not only that, but think of the phone. When I was a kid, I was dragging it behind me with a cord and cooking and doing, you know, washing or whatever I did. You know, I just pulled it behind me with a cord. Now there's no antenna even. Yeah, it is definitely interesting. I remember, yeah, some of the older cell phones first they were really big with antennas now new antennas and you know it is it is definitely uh, interesting and uh, the interesting thing about VCRs when VCRs first came out I heard they were like really really expensive sounded like thousands of dollars or something for VCR or something I don't know but so we had, we had a VCR I remember when I was a kid um, that VCR I think it, la- it was an old VCR but this VCR lasted for something like something like 11 or 12 years and it still worked I mean, that's how they made, you know, you couldn't say that for a VCR nowadays. But, you know, they got the DVD video, uh, you know, combos VCR nowadays. You've got one of those that are one of those. Um, but uh, it's definitely interesting how technology has changed. And, um, you know, technology is funny. Uh, <clears throat> I, got a, I got a couple of uh, uh, cassette books from NLS, the, you know, the regular RC cassettes. And I'm like, I get to, I get to the... I get to the uh, End of the first item, I'm like, wait a second, shoot, i got to turn this cassette over. I had to think a second, wait, duh, this is not an NLS barred book where you don't have to turn it over. <clears throat> I'm like, well, i got to turn this book over. I'm like, wait a second, I had to stop and think, you know, think, this is a cassette here, not an... I just thought that was kind of interesting. That's how uh, used to, um, used to uh, digital I've gotten, but the cassette worked pretty good, so it's nice you can still go back to get the NLS cassettes if you want them. Did we ever find out um, what happened to Louise's siblings? Because I know she moved out to California when she was married, but then she got divorced, and I don't know if they were old enough to be on their own out there, or if I just missed it, or they didn't mention what happened to them. They never mentioned them, as far as I know. Um, I really like the end of the book, where she's in the hospital, and they're all talking to her, and she... And somebody asks her if she knows who she is. And she's thinking about all the people that she was in her life. All the roles that she played. And 
I just, I really like that, how that all came to an end. It all wrapped up. Yeah, I like the way I like the way they ended it too. It's just kind of faded to black. And uh, Joshua, well, you're right. We get we get spoiled to the technology really quickly because uh, uh, I listened to a cassette book the other day. It was part of a series that I wanted to uh, you know to listen in order. And this particular book wasn't available except on cassette. And, uh, fortunately, they, they told you when you needed to turn the cassette over and uh, flipping the you had to flip the switch and stuff to because it's a it's a four track kind of gizmo and uh, I had forgotten all that stuff uh, you know I used to I used to you know it was all it used to be all 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 automatic before I got into all the digital stuff but uh, uh, I, I'm glad it had the prompts there to tell me what to do. Is there anybody who wants to make any final comments and then we can anybody who hasn't had a chance to say anything who wants to. And then we can um, talk about the book for next month. And this is Joshua. i got to say, one thing I really like about this club, I think, uh, to me, uh, Randy, I know Jenny's not here this month, that, um, that um, you know, the nice thing about this club is, I mean, you, you can come in like I did, you know, like halfway through the meeting, you know, only get a few minutes of discussion and still really, really enjoy the discussion and kind of chip in, you know, even though you haven't, you know, read the book, which I didn't, I've, I've got so many books to read. It's it's ridiculous, and I think want to be uh, cutting down book clubs that I'm attending to for quite a while. Um, try to catch up, but I mean that's you know some other book clubs. You know you can't always do that. You know you're sometimes if you haven't read the book, you go to a book club, you're kind of lost. You know you're like should I even come or not? Say read the book or not? I didn't read the book, and this book club is one that you can just you know feel very comfortable to just you know just sit back and listen and enjoy the discussion or you know chime in when you, when you can and that's you know something you, like I said you can't always do with other book clubs and one thing I appreciate about uh, about this book club so uh, that's all I gotta say okay well Josh yeah we try to keep it informal we don't like to run it too strict here um I'm gonna let Carla take the mic now and tell us about the book that we're going to do for November. She recommended it, and so I'm going to let her tell us about it. So, Carla, you want to take it away? Yes, and um, the name of the book, this is always, this has been one of my favorites. It's called Skipping Christmas, and it's DB52929, and it's by John Grisham, believe it or not. And it's a short read. It's only three minutes and fifty three minutes, three hours and fifty eight minutes. And it's read by by Stephen Carpenter. And according to the Bard annotation, tax accountant Luther Crank calculates that a Caribbean cruise will cost less than what he what he and his wife Nora um, spent celebrating the holidays last year. Since daughter Blair is in the Peace Corps, they plan to skip Christmas. And Luther, however, doesn't anticipate the town's reaction. And it has some strong language, no sex. <laughs> and, um, and, and this book is a very humorous book. 
it's it's humorous because all these different things happen with his neighbors when he doesn't um, when he when they decide not to observe the christmas traditions and and it's it's just a really funny book but it also has a message and the great thing about this book is that the movie christmas with the cranks is was based on this book and I had a discussion via email with Robert Acosta, and he has decided that we are going to do a special movie night in in December, and we're going to view Christmas with the Cranks. There's a described version available. And the movie and the book complement each other very, very well. If you watch the movie, it comes on network television and it's not described and you haven't read the book. There are parts of the movie that do not have dialogue and it is hard to follow. But if you've read the book, you can almost tell by the sounds what goes on. And the movie brings the characters to life and it does stick to the book a lot. And so it was sort of an idea I hashed last year about about doing this book in either the empowerment zone and it's funny when he emailed me back tonight he said that he had thought about doing it with the empowerment zone but since we were doing it they wouldn't but the thing is if we read it in november we can discuss the movie in december and i know that um, it's a little early to do a christmas book but that was the thinking well i don't mind reading a three-minute book just kidding (laughs) It's a great book. I read it last year, I think it was, and it was it's so different from anything that John Grisham has ever written. It was and I still I haven't seen the movie, so I hope that I'm going to be available to watch the movie too. It it it, it, it is funny. I've read I've read I've read a good chunk of it. It is it is very funny. It is, that is kind of different doing a movie instead of a book for December, but it does kind of make sense. I mean, if you if you do a Christmas movie or a Christmas book before Christmas, so uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think I will, will do, will do this one because um, uh, I mean, it's three hours actually. Uh, actually, I read a book on Bard that was eight minutes long. So they do have very, they do have minute, they have books that are minutes long instead of hours long on Bard. They are that some books can be that short. I've not seen a three-minute book on Bard, but uh, I've seen like seven or eight minutes, like I said before. So it's interesting, but it, it, it is a good book. Uh, uh, yeah, skip it Christmas. It's very funny because the guy finds out he really, you really can't, he really couldn't skip Christmas even though he wanted to. It's it's very. I think you guys will like it. The movie night will be on a different night, so we're still gonna have our group because our group is the third Friday. So, um, we'll still have our group, and we still need to come up with one for December. So. I'm open to suggestions. If anybody has any ideas, short reads, um, I don't want to get into anything too long because, you know, everybody's going to be so busy that, um, and we'll, it'll be right before Christmas. So we could do a short one. I know last year we met before Christmas, so I'm assuming everybody would still want to, but if you don't, that's, that's okay too. But I know that the movie, as far as I know, the movie is probably going to be a different Friday. Did he say that, Carla? He didn't say it, but traditionally the movie is the first Friday of the month. And um, we were going to do it just 
do a book in one group and then do the movie, uh, just sort of like we did with the help. You know how we read the help, and then on a separate night we had the movie night. That you know, I think we did that with my sister's keeper too, and um, something like that. And this would be a good, good holiday thing to do. And I had suggested I had um, written to Randy and and Jenny. I felt really bad because Randy had said she would have rather done it in December for a really short read. But the only problem with that is the movie would have been before the book. And I guess that couldn't have been all bad. But I had suggested a twelve twenty five Christmas tree lane by um, it's um, DB seven three seven five zero by Debbie McGomer, and it's only six hours and 15 minutes and it was read by um, by Sandra Burr and it's an auto an, it's one of those audio books and it's a Cedar Cove book and it's a Cedar Cove Christmas tree farm owner Beth uh, Morehouse looks forward to the holidays until her college age daughters invite Kent who is their father Beth's ex-husband to the celebration and um, Beth considers a reconciliation but Kent brings a young woman with him so you can see it's one of our kind of books um, and it's a commercial audio book 2011 bestseller and it doesn't say anything about language and sex either <laughs> so that's great but that was one of the ones that I had suggested because I felt sort of bad when I had suggested um, skipping Christmas um, and that was going to be a short read but that's maybe we could do that book sometime this is Deborah um, I, I have one more suggestion to add to the pool I, I didn't look up the bard annotation but I read it a couple years ago uh, it's Wally Lamb wishing and hoping it's just one of the most adorable Christmas books I've ever read and I remember that it's short I would guess five or six hours What's the premise of the story, just a general premise, and is it on Bard? It is indeed on Bard, and the general premise of the story is um, <clears throat> uh, a boy looking back. Um, it might be nonfiction, but I don't think so. I think it's fictional. Anyway, uh, so a boy who grew up in the 50s looking back at his childhood, and it's just full of um, 50s, 60s-ish nostalgia, um, his mom got chosen to be like on a, again, it's been two years since I read it, so I can't quite remember, but the mom is chosen to be like Betty Crocker for a day or something on a, on a TV show. With, uh, I think it was a real show that he cites, but I can't remember the real show. But anyway, because of her cooking, a pie gets chosen and she's on TV and they're all gathered around the little teeny TV and the dad runs a local restaurant or something and that might be where the only tv is maybe they all gather there i forget but anyway it's just it's just full of 50s fun nostalgia about school and christmas and the games kids played and family life and it's it's just really and wally lamb of course is such a fabulous writer so can't be i just remember listening to it in my kitchen while baking Christmas cookies and stuff one year and just laughing my head off. It's really funny. Boy, that sounds really good to me. And it's not so heavy as a love triangle. Sometimes it's 
good to get away from the romance sometimes too and it's certainly good to get away from the cancer although I unfortunately have to say one of the characters in Skipping Christmas has cancer but it's not you know it's not a central well let's put it this way they don't dwell on it a lot it is an important part of the story but they don't dwell on it um, but boy that that wishing and hoping sounds good um, I read a book not too long ago by Eva by Eva Rutland called A Child's Christmas that was actually really, really good. It's only like four hours long, but uh, it was about, I don't have the DB number, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's, about a, uh, it's about a boy. His dad is this, big, is this big, rich guy. He doesn't really spend some time with his, uh, with his son and his... And his um, and the son kind of has to spend Christmas at the uh, at the uh, at the boarding school. Is going to spend it at the boarding school, but um, and then there's this uh, there's this lady who is his teacher at school who uh, um, end up help end up ends up helping uh, the boy out and the uh, the teacher's uh, grandfather who was in a wheelchair kind of uh, gets kind of reinvigorated by trying to help the boy out. And uh, it's been a while it's been a while since I read it, but uh, I'll throw in a suggestion too. Uh, which we don't have to. Uh, we 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 can leave this till uh, November to decide. Decide we don't have to decide for December now. I don't think. But uh, I'll throw in there uh, a child's a child's Christmas for uh, for my Christmas suggestion. It, it was good. It was good. They both sound good to me. And no, we don't have to decide now unless you want to. But we can wait till November. I think that um, both of them sound really good, and I do think that whatever we decide should be short only because of the busyness of the holidays. But you're right; we don't have to decide now. But we usually do. We do. Uh, we do really short books in our in our book clubs. Um, our Christmas our book club meets at the meets at the local library. My book club uh, uh, third Wednesday of every month. Uh, Carla, we do for Christmas. We do a uh, we do a cookie exchange. We do a really we do a really short. Uh, do a really short book, um, and then we have uh, cookies and uh, tea or cider, that kind of stuff. It's it's kind of fun to, uh, it's always fun to get to do that for Christmas. It's uh, it's nice when we get to do that kind of stuff there. So uh, yeah, so we always, we always do something short. We do we do. It was a uh, David Baldacci book we did for. I can't think what that book was. Um, I think it was called The Christmas Train, something like that. That 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 was an interesting book. Um, I can't think of what that David Badachi title was, but it was a it was a good uh, did that for a book club one year. That was a good book. And it was called the Christmas Train, I think something. I'll have to look that one up. But that was a that was another good book. That was interesting. Yes, it's called the Christmas Train. You're spot on, David Baldacci. Well, it sounds like we have some good ideas, so we can narrow it down next month and. Make our decision. Well, that's all I have. Thanks, everybody. It was a good discussion. Good book. It was fun as always. Hey, uh, off, a bit off, bit off topic. Hey, Alan, I think is um, is is Rebecca's uh, book club uh, next week? I think, I, th- I think, I think our book club is uh, 